you've gathered, maybe we are at the end of our series, Gifted for More. Uh, and so what that means is for the last seven weeks, starting right after uh, Easter, we've been focusing on how God has uniquely shaped and designed and gifted every single human on the planet uh, with gifts and interests and abilities. Uh, we would sometimes call those natural gifts, talents, interests, and abilities, but then also our special focus has been on what are called spiritual gifts. So for most of this seven-week series, we've been looking, for example, at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll go back there a little bit today. Romans chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, and we've been exploring the unique and distinct special gifts that God gives to baptized believers, women and men, girls and boys, who have faith in Jesus and who have been baptized into Christ, we are told to have a unique and special gift that he uses in and through us to do God's work in the world. And so everyone uh, who knows and follows Jesus, we are told, has a gift. Uh, so we've been trying to help you become more aware of that, maybe get a little more interested in what yours might be, and then especially, as we saw last week, uh, realizing that God wants to use it in the relationships you already have where you live, work, and play to bring good news, to bring hope and life and light. Uh, to close out this series, what we wanted to do is spend a little special time focusing on some of the gifts that we don't always know what to do with exactly. Uh, and sometimes we call them the miraculous spiritual gifts. Uh, if we look at a list, for example, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 13 and 14 in a bit. Uh, these are some of the spiritual gifts that Paul has listed. Right? There are other places where there are other gifts like leadership and wisdom and so forth, but here are those that are listed in 1 Corinthians. Uh, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, which seems to be a unique and special gift that God gives to his people to speak truth with wisdom, knowledge, and insight when it is needed. Uh, or the spiritual gift of faith. Now this is to be distinguished from the gift of saving faith that every believer has. That's worked in us by the Holy Spirit through God's word. But this faith would seem to be uh, an extra measure of trusting in God, especially maybe through a difficult season, suffering persecution or hardship, or for some specific purpose God wants to use a believer to accomplish. Then we have gifts of healings. Interestingly, both words in Greek and in English here in the plural. So a variety of different ways that God can work healing. The working of miracles, which may be associated with healing or other things. So for example, in scripture, we see Jesus working healing or working miracles of providing food, uh, of uh, supplying uh, even a coin for Peter to pay taxes uh, for Peter and for Jesus. So a variety of miracles. A prophecy uh, that could either be telling what is to happen before it happens or more often in scripture proclaiming the truth of God's word to some sort of situation where God wants to address it or speak to it. Both are ways that the word prophecy is used. Discerning spirits. Uh, that is the ability to just sense where the Spirit of God is at work or where other evil forces, powers, principalities, as the word Scripture uses, are present to seek to undo God's present and work in the world. And then the last two, various kinds of tongues, and then, correspondingly, the interpretation of those various kinds of tongues. Now, of this list, if you were to try to say which ones might fall in the miraculous category. I tried to put them in bold, but it doesn't make as big of a difference on these screens. But um, you, might, you might maybe single out gifts of healings, workings of miracles, prophecy perhaps, 
And then at the end there, the various kinds of tongues and interpretations of tongues. And in the Christian church, both today and then also stretching all the way back to the beginning, these ones, it seems, have sometimes caused Christians to have a little bit of uncertainty. What are we supposed to do with these? Do they still exist in the church? Um, how do we approach someone who says that they have this gift? That's what we want to try to speak to and address today. And I say this has been an issue from the very beginning because of what Paul goes into as he explains these in chapter 12 and then especially in 13 and 14. First off, it's interesting to note that Paul wants to give some sort of relative prioritization to the various structures and gifts that God gives to his church. So later on in chapter 12, for example, he says God has appointed first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles, gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. In this verse, what Paul seems to be doing is trying to remind the Corinthian believers that these spiritual gifts matter. They're very important. That's why he's talking about them. But they're not the most important thing that God has given to his church. He has given other apostolic, prophetic, and teaching leadership roles, we might say, not spiritual gifts, but roles within the structure of his church. And then as we'll see here in a bit, he also uh, seeks to call out that we may embody the virtues, the gifts, or the fruits of the Spirit that also are present in his church. So with that in mind, let's jump into chapter 13. Here Paul seems to be addressing a challenge that the Corinthian church was wrestling with. That's the occasion for writing the letter as a whole. At least five different, unique, specific questions they'd asked Paul or challenging situations that he wanted to address. So, for example, elsewhere in this letter, he talks about how they conduct themselves in worship, how to deal with a member of the church who was behaving in a very inappropriate way in a relationship, and, and other challenges that that church was facing. Here he speaks to some uh, discord, you might say, over specifically a number of the spiritual gifts. So he starts out in verse 1, chapter 13, with this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And then in verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, and you can see just from the list I gave before, these are tied back to a number of those spiritual gifts. But then he goes on to say, but if I have not love, then I am nothing. Paul seems to be alluding to and describing a situation where some of these spiritual gifts were drawing either more attention or were causing divisions within the Christian believing community in Corinth. And he wanted to point out that while these are important, necessary, and even to be celebrated, not so if they are going to cause division. So this brings us to the first of three kind of key insights or points that we can pull out of Paul's letters that I'd like to point out today. The first is this. Every spiritual gift is first and foremost a gift of grace, not a right or reward or a superpower that some people have like we see in the Marvel comic movies. Right? What this means is that God has given them as gifts for that very purpose. They are gifts that the Spirit gives to believers where and when he wills for his purpose in the world, right? It's not an entitlement that we have just because we call ourselves Christian, and it certainly is never intended to cause division or to cause disagreement 
within the Christian community. Now, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 13 to elaborate on what he'd rather have the Christians focusing on. And we heard this in our message or in our time in, in worship already today. So 1 Corinthians 13, you often hear this, by the way, at weddings because of the way that it elevates and celebrates the Christian virtue of love that we all are called to embody. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. And then in verse 13, now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. What Paul wants to make clear as he's addressing this division within the Corinthian church over who gets what gifts and how important they are, he wants to say, remember, friends, what we're ultimately all here about. That is, to receive the love of God through Christ Jesus, freely given, without end, unconditional, that then should transform our hearts and minds and lives as we seek to embody and embrace and live out this most important Christian virtue. That is, love. So Paul then wants to help Christians both then and today understand the importance of spiritual gifts, but keep them in perspective with what we should spend the most of our time and energy focusing on. So love, we'll come back to in a bit, the greatest virtue. So the second key point we can discern from this, and what Paul goes on to explain, is that the Holy Spirit may give or may choose to remove spiritual gifts as needs arrive within the church, and as he wills. Remember, ultimately, this is God working in and through believers to do God's work in the world, and so he remains firmly in control of what gifts we have and when and how he wants us to make use of them. So why would I say that? Take a look at this, verse 8 in chapter 13. It says, love never ends. That's why it's something we all seek to embody, embrace, and live out. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Now, based on this verse, there are some within the Christian church throughout the last 2,000 years have said, okay, I think what Paul means here is that these spiritual gifts, they have like a lifespan. And, and maybe that lifespan was just for that first century or so when the church was getting established to, to demonstrate that you could trust the apostles and the early believers who had been eyewitnesses to Jesus. This uh, interpretation is referred to as cessationism, right? And what it does is it takes this literally and says, well, it says that they will cease, so they must have stopped, and so therefore we shouldn't talk about them anymore. Now, you can almost imagine uh, if St. Peter is going to spend seven weeks talking about spiritual gifts, that's not how we understand that verse, right? So what would we look at that verse to understand and mean? It's helpful to look at what Paul says right afterwards. He says this, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. If you go and you dig deeper into this passage, what seems to be clear is that Paul is saying, a time will come when Jesus returns, he who alone is perfect, right? the only one who has perfectly obeyed God's will, who embodies the perfection of of God's best in this world, when the perfect, that is Jesus, comes, uh, then what we experience now partially, right, will be finally made complete. Now we see in a mirror dimly, then we will see perfection, Christ himself face to face. 
And so what Paul seems to say is that this ending really isn't intended to be within the short, limited lifespan of the first century or even the first few thousand years, but it's the entirety of the time until Jesus returns to make all things new. So with that in mind, and based on the rest of the way that the New Testament describes spiritual gifts, we would say, yeah, they are still a real present reality for Christian believers now, but they are entirely given by the Holy Spirit to whom he desires to use those gifts and for the purpose of building up his church. And so that's where Paul goes next. The emphasis is never on the people. It's never self-serving. It's never for the purpose of personal gain and notoriety in the church or in the world as a whole. But the emphasis is on the gifts themselves, their presence, and the power through which the Holy Spirit is at work to build up his church here on earth. Let's see how that plays out in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in particular. So again, he's come off of chapter 12 describing spiritual gifts. Chapter 13, focusing on love as the greatest virtue, more important for believers to focus on than the gifts themselves. And then he goes on to say this. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in tongues speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Let me pause right here and make a distinction. In Acts chapter 2, this weekend is the celebration of Pentecost, by the way. We had this reading in our first service today. In Acts chapter 2, God gives the believers in Jerusalem a unique and special ability, a spiritual gift, we might say, to speak languages they did not otherwise know or understand. And what Acts makes clear is, is that they use this gift in order to proclaim the saving message of Jesus to thousands, maybe millions of Jewish believers who were in Jerusalem to celebrate the Harvest Festival of Pentecost, and thousands of them hearing it in their own language, dozens of different languages it seems, were able to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ because of that special manifestation of the Spirit on that first Pentecost through which he enabled men who otherwise couldn't speak these languages from Cyrene and uh, all over the world. There's a whole listing of them in Acts chapter 2 uh, in order for people to come to saving faith in Jesus. Right? That was speaking a language you didn't otherwise know. Here, what Paul seems to be describing is a different gift that God gives to some believers, and that is the ability to speak in an inexpressible language that no one otherwise would know or understand and usually is a gift that God gives to believers to be used in their personal prayer with God. It might be a prayer language. It might be something done in a smaller group, but if it causes division, that's what Paul's going to address in chapter 14, that's where it causes concern. And so Paul says later on, if someone wants to use that spiritual gift of speaking an otherwise unintelligible language, there needs to be an interpreter, someone who has that second companion spiritual gift to be able to use that utterance to bless the gathered worshiping community. Paul then, if I push play again, back into our text, what he's saying is what's actually even better, practically speaking, for a local church is the gift of prophecy because the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. Remember prophecy as bringing God's truth to bear on a certain situation or topic. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, like I was just describing, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. So with yourselves, 
Paul concludes, since you are eager for the manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Right? This is where we've been going this whole time. What is the purpose for which God gives these gifts? Again, not for, perp- for personal wealth, notoriety, or gain, but for the building up of God's work in the world, for building up the church, and for bringing good news to as many as possible in this world. That's why these gifts exist. So if I wrap it up, if I were to wrap it up and put it in my own terms, back to the beginning of chapter 14, here's how I'd say it. What's Paul trying to say in all of this? Number one, pursue love. The greatest Christian virtue unites them all together, unites all believers together as well, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. That is that unique, special ability that God gives to you as one who knows and follows Jesus, distinct from what others may have, even in your family or in your faith community, especially, and here's my own summary insertion, especially those that build others up and bless the church. These are gifts that are very real and present today as they have been throughout the history of the church and will be until the perfect, that is Christ returns, and they're to be enjoyed and celebrated for the well-being of all of God's church and all believers and for the promotion and the proclamation of his good news. So to that end, friends, we have been spending this time together, and our hope and prayer is that as we've leaned into this teaching and through this series, it's piqued your attention, it's caught your interest, it's made you at least think a little bit more about how God is present in your life and in the lives of those around you, and our hope and prayer is that it will embolden and encourage you to discern your gift so that you can put it into use for God's glory here and for the world. Amen.